Amen. Um, <clears throat> man, it's, all, it's already been just really awesome. Uh, just singing through those songs, the truths in those songs are just so powerful. And I mean, even thinking through the fact that, uh, and even uh, reading in, uh, out of Corinthians, that, uh, that he himself bore our sins, right? That, that there, we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, that, that Christ died so that we could live and that we now are now a new creation. Uh, that's, uh, that's central to the book of 1 Peter. In the book of First Peter, you can't get very far away from the fact that Christ has died for our sins, right? Remember in, in chapter one, talked about how our sins have been paid for, right? You have been purchased, redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. I mean, and then last week, when we, uh, that it said he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. I mean, that's amazing. And what, what are we gonna talk about tonight is how do we apply that? How do we live that out specifically because we are going to suffer in this world? Which is, it's crazy because the Christian life has promised suffering. Jesus promised suffering. He said that if you follow me, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And it's really good for us. I mean, I was just thinking, even just praying over um, our youth group, right? That, uh, that our students will be prepared to live as faithful Christians in this world, that they'll be discipled to think and act like Jesus, because this world is against us. This world is contrary to us. I mean, and it's so frustrating because we live in a culture that is super easy. I mean, right? If you, if you are in Andrews, it's okay in Andrews to ask somebody as soon as you meet them, like where they go to church, right? And there's a lot of people will have an answer for that even if they're not a Christian because they'll have their church. You know, they might not go there, right? And wh- what we're, what we're going to talk about tonight is suffering as a Christian and what does that mean for us? And I think that we're, tonight we're gonna get to see some really good practical stuff to help live our lives out and to help think through suffering well and, uh, and to realize that we are in a battle, right? The Christian life is a war. It is a battle that we need to be prepared to fight. Um, even in the song that we sang, The Only Holy God, uh, I was thinking through, it's, it talks about how God commands the hosts of heaven, right? I, I love that term that when we talk about Um, God as the Lord of hosts. Um, What's funny though is for a long time I didn't understand what it meant because we don't use the term hosts very often uh, in English. And uh, what's funny is if you grew up singing traditional hymns, the probably the only Hebrew name of God you know is uh, is the Lord of hosts. Uh, If you remember in uh, Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It says, Lord Sabaoth, his name, which you just grow up singing because it's on the, you know, it's, it's in the hymnal. Um, but it means the Lord of armies. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Like when we talk about God being the Lord of hosts, he is the Lord of heaven's armies. Why? Because he is leading us in battle and that we are now in a cosmic battle we are a part of this. 
And we need to, what we're gonna see tonight, we need to arm ourselves for that. But when we arm ourselves, we're not picking up swords or guns. We are arming ourselves with the proper mindset to go through suffering. So that's what we're gonna, that is the whole point. The whole point of the passage that we're in, uh, 1 Peter 4, one through six, is that we arm ourselves for suffering like Jesus. All right, so let me re, let's kind of recap where we are. Um, remember in Peter's whole message is focused around the fact that we are aliens and strangers. We are sojourners in this world, in this time, and in our own bodies. Like we are living in exile. This is not our home, right? And that the, we are exiles because we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and that now we live as a new creation. He's caused us to be born again into something new and now we live our lives in this exile, in this world as citizens of heaven right? And that means that there are a lot of uh, specific obligations that he's called you to. He used the word human institution, that we need to be submissive to those human institutions, not in and of themselves, but as, as we're being submissive to God. And then last week, awesome, we got to see that Jesus Christ has, uh, he has subjected all authorities to himself. He died, rose, and has ascended into heaven, and everything is in subjection to him. So then now practically, how do we live in light of that? So um, let me read through our text, and then the goal is just gonna be to work through this phrase by phrase. What is he trying to say? Because there are some confusing, he uses some confusing terms and language, so let's try to understand it and then how to apply it. This is First uh, Peter chapter four, starting in verse one. Since therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. All right, so there's some confusing things in this, right? Right, gospel being preached to those who are dead, um, suffering in the flesh, ceasing from sinning. That's, this is confusing. So let's work through it. And, and let's remember, if we were going to draw it out, like if you were going to draw a picture, if, like, you know, if you were going to diagram it, um, it would all be hanging. This, it's, it's beautiful. Um, it would all be hanging on arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, right? Arm yourselves. That's the whole point of this. Is we need to arm ourselves because we're going to go through suffering. And so, um, and uh, what's funny is, uh, so, and then underneath that would be these two phrases like, because Christ suffered in the flesh, we need to arm ourselves with his mindset. And also, because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning, we need to, because of that, we need to arm ourselves. And w- let's think about this. In his mind, uh, the, way, and the way that Peter writes, he's constantly talking about us having the correct frame of mind. Because if, simply, right, if you are thinking rightly, you're going to act rightly. If you're thinking right, you're gonna act rightly. So if we, we see like in, uh, in 1 Peter 1, 13, was the first time we kind of see this idea when he said um, preparing your minds for action or we talked about like 
literally girding up the loins of your mind. Be prepared. And it's funny because we talked then at, when we went through 113 about how this could be, you, people would gird up the loins, they would, they would wrap their skirts up so they could either work or fight. And what we're seeing here is specifically for a fight. This is a battle. And so he's saying then we need to prepare minds for that. And the same thing here, arm ourselves with a way of thinking. We also see in, in chapter three, verse seven, when he's talking to husbands, he's telling husbands to think rightly. How do husbands treat their wives? They need to treat their wives um, according to knowledge, right? He needs to make sure you have the right mindset. Think rightly. And then in uh, 3.15, we're talking about when, when people are asking you because of the hope that's in you, you need to be prepared to have an answer, right? So central in his thinking is we're going to act rightly if we are thinking rightly and if we know that we are in a battle and we know that we're gonna experience suffering, then we need to be wise and prepare ourselves for that beforehand. That's why it says arm ourselves and it's not, again, not a physical weapon, right? Because the battles that we're fighting are not necessarily physical and the weapons aren't necessarily f physical, right? But we need to arm ourselves with this way of thinking and so that we can be focused in the same way that Jesus was focused, right? We need to have the same mindset that Jesus had. And we see this a lot in the writings of Paul where he will tell us that we have the mind of Christ, but he also says because we have the mind of Christ, we need to strive to have the mind of Christ. So we need to be thinking through the situation that we've been called to, thinking through the fact that you are called to suffer and you're called to be in a battle and you need to do so with the same way of thinking that Jesus had. But what's crazy for us is when we think through this, it's hard to, it's hard to think, okay, and, you know, in living in North America in 2021, how am I gonna suffer? Right? In chapter five, he'll talk about your, the sufferings that are experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world as if we have a camaraderie. Because for us, when we think about physical suffering for Christ, it's, we don't really see that where we are. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you don't, we need to not forget that there are people today who are being beaten, who are being imprisoned, who are being put to death because they're Christians. If you, if you wanna get, be really humbled, and get a good perspective of the world, go to look at Voice of the Martyrs, right? Uh, Persecution.com or sign up for the emails and you'll see, man, there is real, like legitimate suffering, physical torture and suffering. But for us, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. And for us, I think the key that we need to be thinking through in this text is when he talks about suffering in the flesh, because when we talk about Jesus suffering in the flesh, there's two obvious things that we see. One is that he suffered physically because he was beaten and he was crucified. But the way that scripture will talk about him suffering in the flesh is also the same way that we suffer in the flesh in that we are tempted by our flesh. You see what I'm saying? Remember in, in Hebrews where it says that he was tempted in every way in which we are, yet without sin, and that is the example that we're supposed to be following. And we need to remember that for Peter, we talked about this earlier on in the study, that in, the, in God's economy, suffering is always a tool to lead to glory, right? And that he has a way of looking at suffering that modern Americans can't really handle very well. I'm just gonna go through, there's, uh, he talks about suffering so much, there's actually, if you look at the, the verb to suffer and then also the noun to suffer, he, talks, he uses it like 16 times in five, ch and, uh, yeah, in five chapters. And I'm gonna go through a couple of them just so we're reminded of Peter's mindset towards glory. Most of them we've already gone through. 
In, in 111, we see Christ's suffering and how Christ's suffering led to glory. In 219, he says it is, it's a gracious thing for you to suffer unjustly. Isn't that crazy? This is a gracious thing for you to suffer because you're, because you're supposed to suffer? No, even in unjust suffering. He says the same thing in 220, that suffering for doing good is a grace of God. And he says that Christ suffered leaving you an example that you would, might follow in his steps. And he says, you are called to this, right? The Christian life, we are called to suffer and we're supposed to do so like Jesus and that leads to glory. Uh, in in 2.23, talking about Christ's suffering, remember that's when he said that when he suffered, meaning physically suffered, he didn't threaten back. So if you're trying to think through, okay, if we're supposed to have the same mindset that Jesus had, it's one of suffering for the glory of God without calling out a threat. And to me, the most powerful thing about this is that I can make threats all day long, right? If someone is, is hurting me, I can make a threat, but that's all it is. It's a threat. Can I back it up? Probably not, you know? It, like, I don't, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do this to you. The most I can say is I'm going to try to hurt you, right? But for Jesus, <laughs> yeah, if I, say, if I tell him I'm going to beat you up, yeah, maybe, but I'm going to try to beat you up, giving it all I got. But because most of my threats are going to be 50 hmm, 50, it's empty threat, right? But the creator of the universe who sustains the, the life in every human being, when he, if he threatens, he's the only one who can completely fill it, right? So we're talking about when Jesus was stripped naked and bent over a pole, having someone hit him with leather straps that had rocks and glass and metal in it. He didn't, he didn't call anything back, even though he was continually keeping them breathing, continually pumping blood through their body. And that's the mindset that we are called to have, right? And that he says, uh, 3.14, suffering for righteousness. What's it, he say? It leads to a blessing. He says it's good to suffer for doing good. That, and then last week we saw that Christ suffered once for sins. All right, that's, the, that's the, one, the, the one type of suffering in the flesh is that Christ suffered in the flesh, being put to death in the flesh. That was physical suffering, right? And then we'll get to it eventually. Um, it's so funny, in 111 and 510, kind of on the bookends, in, uh, in First Peter, is he's talking about suffering leading to glory. In 5.10, he says that, um, he, he says, even though you will suffer, and he uses the term for a little while. Because you realize that even if your entire life is a series of suffering, that's just a little while compared to, what's he say, the eternal glory that we have in Christ. Right, so let's, as, we, as we continue, like we're thinking through suffering leads to glory. That's the way Peter thinks about it. So one is that he suffered in the, in the, in the, in the flesh physically, but also he suffered in, in the flesh using the term, because it's interesting that he uses the term in the flesh. Uh, it's the same word that Paul will use in our struggle against sin with the flesh. There, he could have said in the body. In fact, he actually says that in 318 that his body suffers. But this is a different word that I think it's because now it's, it's applying to all of us because every one of us every day suffers in the flesh as far as our temptation against sin. 
So let's, let's think through, if we're arming ourselves, let's think of that Hebrews 4 type of arming ourselves, that we're arming ourselves against temptation because the suffering, the, the, the temptation to sin is real for every one of us every day. And that is a type of this suffering in the flesh. And so we say, and so he says you need to arm yourself because Christ also suffered in the flesh. Because he did this, so we arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Um, and, and that's what he, he'd said, because of, and not only because he did that, and we use him as an example, but his suffering on the cross enables us to fight against sin. Do you see that? It enables us. What's so crazy as we think through this, this period of exile that we live in, it's got that kind of the already not yet mindset. Like right now, there's something going on. We are fighting right now, but we're fighting a battle that has been won. I mean, that's huge. And so what's crazy is that he just said that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. And now how do, we, how do we practically live that out? We practically live that out because we've been able to do so because of his work. And so now we, are every, now we act that same way. So moves on. He says the other because is because it says the one who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, that's confusing, Right? And I don't think he's talking about Jesus suffering in the flesh and him ceasing from sin. I think that he's talking about us because when we arm ourselves with with the same way of thinking that Jesus has, when we approach suffering the way that Jesus did, especially when we're talking about our temptation to sin, we do so with the mindset of Christ with the proper attitude to fight against temptation. Well, why? Will we fight against temptation to sin? Because Jesus has defeated it. And so don't think of, the, don't think of this as ceasing to sin because he's not promising like that you won't sin any longer. If you're in Christ, you don't sin any longer. That's not true. But think of it as being finished with sin, right? Do you see the difference? Not ceasing as if it's not gonna happen anymore, but you're finished with it. Your mindset against temptation is I'm done with that. I'm, I am finished with that, right? This is where it gets really good because we can be, now again, keep it, I'm not saying that we're gonna, live, we're gonna live perfect, sinless lives. I'm saying that if we fight, because we fight like Jesus with the same power that Jesus fought with. Because if you're in Christ, then the spirit of God lives inside you and the same way that Christ was able to live the perfect sinless life through the power of the Spirit, so he's enabled us to fight victoriously against our sin. But the way we do that is by arming ourselves with the right mindset. If you have the right mindset, then you can be finished with sin. And this is a daily moment-to-moment thing. Um, Spencer and I were talking about this earlier. Spencer taught me one lesson in life. He's taught me many things in life. But when we were in college, uh, Spencer's always been a runner, um, and I have always not been a runner. And in college, I had tried to run with Spence, and he was really gracious because he would slow down so that I could run with him. And he taught me one thing about running that to this day, and I now have tried to become a runner, that stuck with me. 
and it's when you get to the hills. Because I don't know if you guys have ever, if you guys have ever run around here, running around here is terrible. <laughs> it's because every, it's the whole thing, like, you know, you, the uh, parents are like, oh yeah, well, it was up, up ways, it was uphill both ways to school, up ways. It's up ways. It's uphill both ways to school. In Andrews, it really is. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter where you are in Andrews or where you want to go. It's going to be uphill somehow both ways. <laughs> and you don't notice it if you're just driving a car. But if you start running, what you think is just, it seems flat, right? I drive this every day. It's flat when I drive. My car doesn't struggle driving on this road. But when you run, it's so hard. And the one thing that Spencer taught me about running was to attack the hills. And it's so good because this is what First Peter is talking about, is you attack it. When you're, if you're running, try this out, all of you, go running tonight. Find a big, <laughs> find a big hill. But if your mindset changes, this is, this is hard. This part's hard. I'm going to approach this differently than I do something that's flat or downhill. It really changes the way that you do it. And I'm not saying it makes it easy, but it does make it easier. And, and if we are approaching, because you know, you know the areas in your life that it's so easy for you to be tempted. You know that. And if, if we would just attack that, then we would be more finished with sin on a practical level. Because what Christ did on the cross is he destroyed the power of sin and death permanently and then enabled us to practically fight against it. And so we have to approach it with that mindset. And this means that for you tonight, you need to arm yourself to fight. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, arm yourself to fight. And then every morning after that, it, you, I mean, it, you, when you, even when you, when you pray through the Lord's Prayer, when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Isn't that fascinating that when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, that he focuses on something negative? Yeah, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know why? Because it doesn't, it doesn't help you in your fight against sin if you don't think about temptation. It helps you if you say, this is where I'm tempted and I'm gonna fight it. I'm gonna arm myself with this. And then I think that uh, I, we, we need to understand what has taken place in our lives to equip us to do so. I'm gonna read a couple passages uh, and, and I'm gonna read Romans, uh, Romans 6, 5 through 11. I'm gonna read three passages in the book of Galatians. And I want you, if you're thinking about how to have the proper mindset against, thi against sin and suffering, think about this. In Romans 6, 5, it says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And look at what he says, the same type of mindset. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How do you have the right mindset towards sin? You know, I'm dead to that sin. And that sin is dead to me. Look in uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, in Galatians 5.24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And in 6.14, but far be it from me that I should boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this, this is beautiful. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Our struggle is to believe this. We have to believe this. Believe that this is true about you. That if you're in Christ, the world, you, the world has died to you. you. It's died to you. You're still living, and that's what, what Peter is getting at. Like we still live in the flesh. We still live in a physical body, but we don't have to live in the flesh according to, to our sin. You see the two different, and I think he's using this on purpose. That yes, and because he says, um, hold on, what's it look like? Yes, yes, okay, sorry. Give me a second. I'm answering a question out loud that's going on in my head. So you weren't a part of that conversation. <laughs> and I'd like to apologize for that. Because that's what he goes on to talk about. He says, so now... You arm yourselves with the same way of thinking because Christ suffered in the flesh, because whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, and then he spells it out, so that you can live now in the rest of the time that you have remaining in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, right? You can't literally escape the flesh right now because you're in it but you don't have to live according to it because Christ has taken care of that. And if you can believe that, if you can really believe that, then you can live it out. But we have to believe it. You have to believe that this world has been crucified to you and you to the world. You have to believe that, that he bore your sin so that you could have his righteousness. That's why it's so hard. We have to consider ourselves, think of ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. That's where the battle that we have is fought. And if we arm ourselves with that way of thinking, it makes it so much easier because we have a context for it. I'm not, I don't live in that anymore. That's not, that's not for me, right? We need to attack it. Look at what he says. And I like that he... Uh, I like that he says the time that has passed is sufficient for doing all those things, right? Because we've all been called out of that. And I think he's talking to both, uh, for us today, the way we apply this is before you're in Christ, that's the time for those. Or in your spiritual immaturity, 
That's the time for those things. And he says, um, living in, he, he says living like the Gentiles do, which is interesting because he's writing to predominantly Gentiles. And so slam on them. And uh, you don't have to live like a Gentile anymore because you're not a Gentile. You're not, you're not separated from God. You're a part of his covenant people. He's made that very clear that this was always pointing towards, that, that we as believers, we are a new nation, a holy priesthood, right? This is us. We are, we are the temple. He says, the time that has passed is sufficient for that. You want to know where all of those things go, those struggles in the flesh? That's for the past, not anymore. It's sufficient for that. We don't have to live that way anymore. And he compares, right, the, the desires of man and the, and the will of God. We don't have to live for the, the, the desires and the passions of, of our, just our flesh, but we can live for according to the will of God. He says, in the past, what's he say? He says, sensuality, which is like a lack of self-restraint. We don't have to live like that. In fact, in Second Peter and in Jude, this is how they describe these false teachers. This lack of self-restraint, living in sensuality. And, he's, and, he, and then he throws in sinful desires or lusts. And then drunkenness, which this word is funny because it's only found here in the, uh, in the New Testament and it really means bubbling over with wine. Um, you don't have to live that way. Um, and it says excessive feasting and probably with sexual connotations, which translated in the SV as orgies and then drinking parties and then lawless idolatry. He says, you don't have to live this way any longer. And I know for us, he's, he's talking specifically for those who've been called out of this pagan lifestyle. Remember, the, the, the paganism of that time was associated with false gods, literally idolatry, worshiping false gods, and they would have uh, horrible, unnatural deeds that they would do in worship to a false god. And I think for us, you know, we could add to this our greed and our selfishness and and our lusts and our pride. Like, we no longer have to live for the rest of the time in the flesh for those things. But we can live for the will of God. Why? Because he's enabled us to do so. And the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to live like this because he has enabled us to think and live like Jesus. And I'll say this, for if you're here and, you, and you're visiting and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, then this is where you are. This, you're stuck. Scripture says you're enslaved to sin. That scripture says that you, you are dead. And that's where all of us were. And that's why at the beginning of 1 Peter, he says we couldn't do anything about it, but God caused us to be born again. And so for you, if you're still living in this and you, don't have, and you have not cried out to God, we, just like what we read in 2 Corinthians, man, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Cry out to God because he's accomplished something that you could never accomplish on your own. In fact, that's what he's gonna go on to say. He's gonna say this, he said, if you are living faithfully in this world, he'll say, man, the world is going to be surprised by the way that you're living. Look what he says in verse four. He says, with, with respect to this, they, meaning those who are not believers in the outside world, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. It's, it's, this is also really interesting. He uses a word for surprised that uh, he's the only one who, uh, Peter is the only one who uses it this way. It has, it, it, uh, it has the idea of showing hospitality to strangers. And what he's saying is, and I think it goes along with his idea that Christians are exiles, that, that he's highlighting the otherness of Christianity here, that, that they should look at you as if you don't belong. 
they should look at you as an outsider, as a stranger. Why? Because you are. If you're in Christ, you're an alien and a stranger in this world, and so you shouldn't, your life should not be characterized by the same thing that characterizes someone who's not a believer. So this should surprise them, that you're not joining them, and he uses that same flood of reckless living, of living in debauchery, and, and he says that they'll malign you. The word he uses actually is blaspheme. They're going to blaspheme you. And what we need to understand is because, and this is, this is going to be difficult also. This is where, for us, this is where our suffering is going to come in. I believe that for us, if you're going to be a faithful Christian in our culture today, you're going to suffer in the flesh, then your temptation to sin, and you're going to suffer in the sense that people are going to make fun of you for the way that you live. People are going to talk down to you because you're not living the same way they are. And it's even more difficult if you are really, this, is, this sounds like an old man rant, but if you're really active on social media and you are living consistently as a Christian, it's so easy for you to be attacked because of that. And you need to be prepared for that. He, later on, in the, later on in, the, uh, in the chapter, he's going to say, don't be surprised when this comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening. Understand this, that if you are living faithfully as somebody who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, then it will look different from the rest of the world. And that's why we, t- we talked about it in uh, the end of chapter three, right? It says you need to be prepared always to give an answer for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, that our lives should be looking differently. We are handling suffering and we're handling living in this world differently than everyone else and people should be asking you. So in this, they should be surprised. And then he says this, and this is really, I mean, this is heavy. He says, but those people who are maligning you, who are are talking or slandering you because of the way you're living, they're gonna have to give an account to God. This is heavy, right? He says in verse five, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What does he mean by that? He means those who are alive right now and when, the, when you die, you'll be judged. And this is sobering because this is a reminder that every one of us is going to be judged. And you're either gonna be judged based on your own righteousness or on the righteousness of Jesus. Right? That's, that's sobering. Because even in this, even in this kind of vindication for believers, there's the there's with it the implied command, but we need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be sharing the gospel because everybody that you come in contact with every day is going to be judged by a holy God, right? That there is a God who's coming. And, and he says this, and this is where it gets confusing. The, this is our last verse. He says, for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. And again, you see these, he's got these two, cor- he's corresponding, he's making this comparison, right? In the flesh, the, the, uh, the man and God, right? The flesh and the spirit. And I think what he's talking about, he's talking about those who were preached, who, who preached, the, who, were, who had the gospel preached to them, there it is, um, who were believers. That he's talking about believers who have died to the things of this world and are living in the spirit the way God does. Because it would be really easy in this context to say, why should I be a Christian? Right, when I look at Christians, they're living their lives differently, but they're still dying, right? You look around, well, Christians die all the time, non-Christians die, what's the deal? And what he's saying is yes, they are judged in the flesh, right? They're dying physically, but that's not the end. 
because they've received and believed the gospel, they will die in the flesh, but they will live in the spirit with God eternally. And that, is our, that should be our mindset. That's how we live this out, right? If we are arming ourselves with the same way of thinking, then we have a, a context on how we can fight our sin now, knowing that, yes, it could get really bad, and the worst thing could happen to us. What's the worst thing that could happen? Death. And that's it. That's the worst thing. We could be, we could suffer to the point of death and then inherit eternal glory with our creator. What a good mindset to have. Remember, in Peter's thinking, everything here, your exile in your body, your exile in this time, your exile in this world is short. This is just a little while. This is not what we're living for. We're not living for this world. We're living for a kingdom to come. We're not living in the flesh according to the will of man, according to the desires of man, right? The time that has passed is sufficient for that. Now we live for God. We live according to his desires. So where do we go from here? A couple things is that we need to be overwhelmed by the grace of God that would both save us and equip us to live like Jesus. And what an, what an amazing gift. You have been given the righteousness of Jesus. So we need to apply that. We need to be overwhelmed by that. We need to, we need to intentionally prepare ourselves to be in a battle against our flesh and those who are opposed to the gospel. Prepare yourselves for that. That's what, that's what he's talking about. Arm ourselves for that, right? We see that in Ephesians 6, right? Taking up the whole armor of God. Why? So that we can withstand. And we need to have the, the mindset of Jesus because if we can attack it, if we're attacking the hills, it makes it easier. That's the right mindset. This is just for a little while. And what we're looking for is an eternal glory. Are you looking to give in to your sin for a moment? Or are you looking for this eternal glory? What, how would Jesus approach that? What was his mindset? You have it. You have access to that. We need to fight as if we're on the winning side because we are. In fact, the battle has already been won and we're just living it out. We need to have confidence in Jesus to enable us to fight against sin and temptation and be ready for the consequences. Be ready if that means that we get made fun of, we get blasphemed, we get stuff thrown at us, great. What is, what, how does Peter think of that? Well, that's good, that's gracious, that's what you're called to. You've been called to that. And we need to keep our identity in the finished work of Jesus and have confidence that he's gonna keep us. And be overwhelmed by the fact that everyone we see on every day is going to have to give an account. Every one of us is going to give an account. And it'll either be with our righteousness, which will fail, or the righteousness of Jesus. And then we just need to fight. We need to have the proper mindset tonight, when you go home tonight, when you're tempted with the things of this world or the things of flesh tonight, fight, attack it. Have the proper mindset. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Know that you will be under attack tonight. Know that you will be under attack tomorrow and every day after that and be ready for it so that you can fight it 
with the weapons of our warfare, which is the spirit and the word of God. Be prepared for that. Let me pray for us. Father, I think, I'm so thankful for this community of believers. I'm so thankful for your word and how it gives us life. I pray that you'll be with each one of us. If we are in Christ, help us to realize the price that has been paid on our behalf so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. And I pray that we will intentionally prepare ourselves for this battle, that we will arm ourselves with the mindset of Jesus and that we can trust in you to give us the strength and the energy to be obedient, be submissive to you. Help us to have a good perspective of those around us. Help us to be filled with the gospel so that we are overflowing with the gospel in our own lives and to those we come in contact with every day. Be with us now as we get to worship you through song. I pray that you will continue to um, settle these things in our hearts and minds and continue to make us like Jesus, we pray in his name, amen.